Hey, too good. Thanks, heaps, Ben. Hey, please feel free to grab a seat. Uh, we're really excited to have you here tonight uh, for a couple of reasons. We are wrapping up uh, our series tonight called Don't Be Weird. This is part three, so if you're coming in tonight, you've missed out, that's all good. We'll catch you up to speed. Uh, but on top of that, it is Father's Day, uh, and we uh, just want to celebrate our fathers as well, whether you're a granddad, whether you're a father, where you're celebrating just a big uh, male figure in your life today. Uh, we hope that you had a really fantastic Sunday well spent with family or friends too. And on top of that, I can only hope that if you didn't get dad one of those Lynx Africa set packs, that you at least got him a nice pair of socks, undies, or a good uh, lot of shirts or pants as well. Uh, on the topic of clothing, however, as I back up onto my chair, in my youth, um, in my youth, uh, when I used to uh, buy quite hip clothes for myself, I actually used to go to a select store uh, for all my clothes. Uh, and for the purpose of this story, I won't disclose the name of this clothing store, uh, but let's say it was called Dodger Raven. Um, this store that I would go to, Dodger Raven, I actually had to go to it one night uh, on a Thursday night. It was late night shopping, and listen, I had a semi-formal coming up the night after, so I was in a bit of a rush uh, for a new shirt that I wanted to wear to this semi-formal. So I went to my number one store. I went to Dodger Raven, uh, and upon uh, going into Dodger Raven, I, I didn't really have any idea of what kind of colours I was going to go for, whether it was going to be a nice white plain blue um, or a nice, sorry, blue linen. Uh, but I walked into Dodger Raven with absolute purpose to go straight to the sales rack, straight at the back, where oddly enough, there was a lot of sales. Um, so I'm in the clothing store, I'm looking around and I'm trying to find uh, that clothing item that I knew was going to make me look snazzy uh, for my Sammy. I was perusing, uh, but the thing is, when I'm in clothing stores, it gets dangerous. Uh, and not dangerous because I spend uh, money, but more so dangerous because I really can't say no to things. Uh, and I had a, a staff member actually come up to me uh, and could see that I was in a little bit of distress, see I didn't really know what options I had. Uh, so they just started taking clothes from the sales rack and offering them to me. And I started saying, yeah, they're pretty nice. Like, oh, they look pretty good. Um, but all of a sudden, we started moving away from the sales rack and we started moving further and further closer to the front of the store where the more expensive clothes were. By this stage, I didn't just have one staff member offering me clothes. I had three staff members offering me clothes. And I don't know if you've ever seen Shark Week on National Geographic, but I was literally bait being circled by three people that knew I wasn't going to say no to anything. Uh, and they were saying everything possible to sell me these clothing items, everything possible to sell me the shirt, to sell me the pants, to sell me the shoes. Uh, they were telling me that this makes your shoulders look big. They were telling me that my eyes would look great in this. They were telling me that this would work great with my complexion and make me look more tanner. Everything young adult me wanted to hear. They were speaking my language. And at the end of the day, I actually ended up being dressed up in the cubicle, the dressing room at the back, in the most expensive royal purple plum shirt uh, in the world, the shirt that was taken off the mannequin at the front in my size with a $200 suit jacket on and a pair of orange tanned cowboy leather boots that I can only say made me look very ostentatious. I don't even know what ostentatious means, but trust me, I looked like an ostentatious cowboy. Uh, and I was in the cubicle, I was completely uh, dressed up and I was freaking out because I had all these clothing items on that I did not want to wear to my semi-formal. So I did what all young men would do when they are overwhelmed in any situation and have been dressed by three women in a clothing store with over $500 worth of clothes on. I texted my mum. Uh, I texted my mum and I said, help. And mum wasn't very helpful. All she kind of shot back was that emoji, like the emoji with the crying, laughing face. Uh, so I had to try and plan my escape 
and I did it in the most millennial way possible. I, I took off all my clothes in the cubicle, and then I walked out. Of, well, actually, I took off all my clothes, and then I put on my own clothes. I wasn't walking out naked. I walked out of the cubicle with my phone up to the ear as if I was having the most important conversation of my lifetime, and I fast walked out of there, and as soon as I got out past the real plum shirt mannequin at the front, I legged it out of Roger David, out of Dodger Raven. Uh, but the thing is, I, I have uh, returned to Dodger Raven since, uh, and at the end of the day, I have no quarrels, uh, or quarry, yeah, quarrels with um, the store. And the staff there were very kind. They were very good at their job, very complimentary, and they were very good at selling their products. And if you've ever been in retail before, if you've ever been in hospitality before, if you've ever been uh, in a job or workplace before where you need to sell something to someone, you have to find a way to get buy-in. Because the goal is to sell something. It's to sell something to a customer. And of course, some people are going to say what they need to say, whether they believe it or not, whether or not they're actually being genuine or not. You need to sell something to them. But it's tricky to know whether or not someone is being genuine and authentic in their words when it's coming from a seller's biased stance. And it's tricky to trust someone when you don't know whether or not they're actually being genuine. And I know for some of you here tonight, in your own faith journey as a follower of Jesus, or even if you're someone right now that's kind of exploring this whole idea of faith yourself, if you still have the questions, uh, maybe you have experienced people sharing this idea of Christianity as a product. Maybe for you that was your experience of church as a child. Maybe for you that was your experience of, of Christianity and what it looked like in a school context. Or from that Christian person that was on TV that time, or that guy that said that thing on Facebook, that was your experience of what a Christian looks like. Maybe your experience of Christianity points back to that lady uh, who, was, uh, who stood outside of your uni with a pamphlet telling you how to take the steps to get to heaven. Or maybe you've experienced that guy with the sandwich board that runs up and down the CBD in the city on Queen Street, telling you that you need to repent or else you're going to go to hell. Maybe for you, your only experience of Christianity felt like an experience with a Christian who seemed to be trying to sell you their idea of what faith looks like. And for some of us, for some of us, we find it really tricky to trust our Christian friends because we might feel like they have always got this secret hidden agenda. But what if, what if faith is actually something that was never meant to be sold? If if faith really is meant to be this relationship, then how do we actually go about sharing it? If it's not meant to be this thing that we necessarily have to be weird about when we're actually sharing it with people in our lives. And that's why we decided to craft this series and address this idea that to share your faith, you don't need a spectacular presentation. You don't need to be weird about it. You just need to be sincere. And if you're joining us tonight, before we keep kind of charging ahead uh, into the rest of the evening, Thought we might look back uh, and actually look over the last two weeks at, at and check in with what we actually uh, looked at in part one and part two of this series. And in part one, we actually have one of our communicators, Josh, jumped up and he looked at what it would look like to be actually driven by the passion in our hearts to lead our conversations. That uh, we looked at the, the impact followers of Jesus actually have when they live out their faith in a way that is genuine and a way that is authentic to them. And then in part two, Steph jumped up and actually walked us through what this journey uh, could actually look like for people close in our lives, that when we actually share our faith, our faith with others, at the foundation um, of that journey for a lot of people is that they actually need to be able to trust people that are followers of Jesus first. That followers of Jesus at the end of the day, no matter how big or how small they think their role is, have a role in the faith journey of other people. 
So tonight, as we kind of land the plane on this series, as we jump into part three, we're going to be answering one simple question. And the question is this. How do we have a genuine conversation about faith? When we know what we've had experience of people trying to sell us faith, uh, I thought tonight what, what we would do instead, we'd actually turn to someone who's a great model of what it looks like to share our faith. We'd actually turn to a conversation and pick up a story where Jesus is actually sharing what it means to be in relationship with God. Uh, and to do that, I thought we might jump into a story, or more so, it's an eyewitness account that was actually written by one of Jesus' disciples, one of these 12 guys that he hand-selected, made up of fishermen, made up of uh, a tax collector, these dirty dozen, these people that were so ordinary, and for some reason Jesus thought these would be the crew that I want to take to spread this message to the world. And John was one of them, and, and John gives us this insight through this eyewitness account of Jesus' conversations and his encounters with people across his time here on earth. So I thought tonight we'd pick up uh, from a story uh, that John has dotted down for us. Uh, and to set the scene for you, to set the scene, Jesus at this time was with his boys. He was with his disciples in probably the most Australian-sounding town uh, in the Bible. He was in a place called Judea, uh, which really just sounds like Anogra or Anala or Kabocha. They were in Judea. And uh, the boys were in Judea, and they're actually uh, baptizing people. But at this point, the religious leaders were getting a bit sus. They're like, this Jesus guy, he's a bit of a funny fellow. All of a sudden, he feels like he has the authority to be, be baptizing people. Like, what's going on here? So Jesus thought, listen, fellas, we're not going to deal with this right now. What we're going to do is make our way over to Galilee. Now, Galilee sounds like the place at school where all the rich kids go, like lived, like that fancy suburb. Galilee also sounds like the nice elvish village that would potentially be in Lord of the Rings. So the boys are going from Judea to Galilee. Now, to get to Galilee, the disciples and Jesus had to pass through a place called Samaria. And to go through uh, Samaria, this wasn't absolutely ideal for Jesus and the disciples. See, Jesus was a Jew, uh, and the people that lived in Samaria were Samaritans. And Jews would do everything possible to avoid going through Samaria. See, there was this big tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. I uh, see in the eyes of the Jews, the Samaritans uh, had a very different value and belief system to their own. And at the same time, the Samaritans were kind of seen as this mixed uh, race. So there was this big ethnic tension, this big heated uh, kind of conflict and cultural barrier between the two of them. And if you want to find out more about it, feel free to jump into your Old Testament. But if not, that's totally cool. Save that for another day. But bottom line, Jews and Samaritans, they didn't go together. But Jesus, uh, Jesus kind of pulled out a YOLO and he said, guys, we're just going to cut straight through Samaria. Like, don't worry about it. We're going to go through. He did what all dads do when there's a GPS in front of them and it's stuffing up. He's like, no, kids, I know where we're going. So they've gone through Samaria and they've ended up in a town called Sychar. And to give you an idea about the town of Sychar, Sychar in its Greek term, before the Bible was translated into English in Greek, a Sychar actually means drunk. So the town they had rocked up in wasn't super ideal for them. This was the town of the drunk. It was a less than an ideal place to stop, and it was a less than ideal place for Jesus and his disciples to sit and relax. And where we're picking up the story from, we read that Jesus was tired. Jesus was tired, so he sat near a well, and the disciples had nicked off to go and grab a feed to get their 4 and 20 pies and a couple of iced coffees. They were on Smoko. So the disciples are gone, and Jesus is sitting by himself alone at the well. To bring you into the story, it was noontime. It was noontime when Jesus saw a figure, 
a shadow approaching him from the distance. And as the figure comes closer, we find out that it was actually a woman. It was a Samaritan woman. And as she came to the well, she had come with a bucket to actually draw from the well. Keeping in mind that for a Jewish man to even talk to a woman was a, was a massive deal. It was a massive no-no. But this is a Samaritan woman. And they're in the two place in a town called Sychar around this well. And the well for the Samaritan woman would have been a social circle. You see, for the people of Sychar, the women would typically, typically go to the well at dawn before it was hot to gather all the water they needed for their day's chores. And also to socialize and try and catch up and, and get to know more about each other, you know, to share the stories about the day, to talk about the kids, to talk about how their husband forgot the milk from the IGA again. You know, women things. You can see I don't really know a lot about women things or what they talk about or women, but oh, my mum would be disappointed in that bit. But um, we can see that the, the woman is coming to the well at noon. She's not coming at dawn. She's coming to avoid actually seeing other people or more so she's trying to avoid other people. And we find out more that this Samaritan woman is actually an outcast. She's an outcast in the town of the drunk. She's an outcast in Sychar. And Jesus leads with this question that really would have stunned the woman. He leads with this in their conversation at the well. We find out when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Will you give me a drink? And knowing what we know already, knowing the barriers that should be between this Jewish man, Jesus, and this Samaritan woman, this is uh, pretty unexpected for the woman. So she responds with this. She responds with, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus replies. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Samaritan woman's probably thinking, jinkies. This, this Jewish fellow is really talking about something more than Mount Franklin or Voss water here. Like, what's his crack? This must be some type of low-fat, high-calcium, high-protein, omega-3, extra dollar with cream on top water or something like that. She's freaked out. She's like, what is this living water? This just sounds odd. But the thing is, the conversation doesn't stop there. Like you, me, and the woman, we need to know what in good gravy living water is and where it comes from. So the woman continues on in the conversation. She says, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? You see, the woman responds with a question. She points out the obvious. Ob the obvious. Sir, you, you don't have a bucket. How are you meant to get this water out? And, and Jesus answers answers with this, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. As we read on in the context of, of John's account, we see that the woman, was pretty, the woman was pretty focused just on the literals of the first sentence, this idea of water that would quench first thirst. You will never thirst again. She's probably thinking, this sounds like uh, water that contains much more than just any majestic power that a 11 Slurpee might have. Through her lens, this idea that the, uh, is that the water will never quench her thirst again, which meant for her that she would never have to go to the well again. She would never have to leave her house again. She'd never have to face the embarrassment of this walk to draw water and quickly run home so no one would see her. She'd never have to feel worthless. She'd never have to put uh, step outside of her 
comfort zone. She wouldn't need to feel or be known as an outcast anymore. She's focused on the literal. She's focused on the, the pros of having water that will never let her mouth run dry and will allow her to escape being seen as an outcast. She turns to Jesus and she says, Sir, so give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw more water. See, Jesus probably realized she didn't really hear the second part of what he said. So he responds. He says, go call your husband and come back. Go call your husband and come back. The woman responds straight away. She says, I have no husband. Jesus says to her, he says, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands and the man that you have now is not your husband husband what you have said is quite true and by the well the the samaritan woman quite startled responds with sir i I can see that you are a prophet rather sir i can see that you know who i am i can see what you know of me because what you have said is true and jesus at this stage we might be thinking if you come from experience before where you feel like someone's kind of sell this idea of christianity to you you're probably thinking this is the part when jesus whacks on the sandwich board this is the part when he gets out the flies and he tells her that listen at the end of the day you're going to hell for that because that's naughty naughty we all know that that's prohibitato but the conversation doesn't lead to jesus putting her down the conversation doesn't end there jesus doesn't pick everything up and run away in fact he sits with her longer and this conversation turns from the woman talking about, uh, we find out more about her own life, and the conversation turns to this place where the Samaritan woman has a conversation with Jesus about their own values and beliefs, the the differences between being a Samaritan and and the differences uh, between being a Jew. And this isn't a debate. It's not argumentative. Uh, It's not this heated exchange, but it becomes this meeting place, this conversation near a well in Sychar where one person finds themselves able to trust someone else with their sincere, honest view of the world, whilst the other simply listens. The conversation unravels, but it's only when the woman goes to wrap up the conversation by saying this. She wraps up the conversation in light of everything that she's learned from from listening to Jesus and from talking about their own similarities and, and differences at the same time. Does she say, I know that. I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will be able to explain everything to us. It is only then that Jesus declared that I, the one speaking to you, I am he. The Messiah that you're talking about, the Messiah that you know about, this guy called Christ, I am the guy. It's odd because you would think if if Jesus really wanted to make a scene, he would have walked into Sychar and announced that at the get-go. So why does he sit in with this conversation with this woman? This spot in a well where he meets her where she is at. And the woman, amazed, we, f- we find out, as John writes on, leaving her water jar, she drops everything. She went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? This woman who is an outcast in her own town, who would go and get water when no one else is there, is all of a sudden had the confidence and urge to run back to town and tell other people, tell other people, hey, I think I've found the guy. Like I said, Jesus didn't come strutting into Sychar to announce that he is the Messiah. He doesn't lead with a method to convert her by demanding that she must first change in order to become worthy of his attention. He doesn't say that you need to become Jewish. He doesn't try to convert her through telling her everything she has 
done or everything that she could do wrong. Jesus reaches across cultural and ethical and moral barriers to ask for a drink and invite someone into a conversation. The thing, the power of conversation, the value of conversation is shown in the woman's response. The response of those that she actually shares her story and shares her experience with. It says that many, many of the Samaritans from that town believe because of the woman's testimony. That many, not all of the Samaritans, but many believe because of the woman's story, because of what she shared. That through her own experience, the woman invites people into a relationship with Jesus. It's the crazy reality that some people in that context were only one conversation or one invitation away from having the course of their life radically changed. And as we talked about last week, if you were here, Steph touched on it, we all have a role to play as followers of Jesus. We all have a role to play in the faith journey of somebody else's life. Jesus makes it clear that your role is not conversion. It's not to get people and carry them over the line. It's conversation. And the value of conversation is something that we can never undervalue. This is literally a story where Jesus sat, he asked questions, he listened, and he shared. And I want to give you an application tonight, because I know for some of you, as followers of Jesus, you've really wrestled with this idea of, of being known as a Christian, because you know that a lot of your friends, a lot of the people close in your uh, spheres in life will push back against you sharing your idea of faith in any way. You may feel like that because you feel at times that people just think it's weird. You think it's something that, that people don't really want to know about. And I understand that. So I want to give us an application tonight that we can take away from a Sunday. We do this thing here at Beyond called Four Monday because we believe there's no point coming to church here on a Sunday if it's not going to change you, if it's not going to impact you for Monday. So this week's Four Monday is to simply do this. It's split into two parts. So the first is this, to actually invite someone. Invite someone, whether that is to church, whether that is here to be on, to actually invite someone into a space where they can get to learn and know more about what it looks like to actually live out a journey of faith. And to give you a context around what that could look like for you, we actually have uh, an event coming up soon on September 9th called Hello Sunday. It's happening here where we're going to get some food vans out. If you were keen to invite someone to a space where they can actually be alongside of others, followers of Jesus and actually start some of these conversations, that's an opportunity for you. But at the same time, maybe that you know for those people in your life, for your close friends, even potentially for your family, for your colleagues, people in your sports team, maybe you know that they actually need a space where you can simply get to know more about them. Maybe for you, the invitation is actually an invitation to brunch, an invitation to dinner gives you every reason to actually pig out and get to catch up and get to know more about people close to you in your life. And if invitation is something that you might push back against, know this, that every invitation begins with a conversation. That's the second step, to actually have a conversation with someone about your faith. If you're a follower of Jesus, what would that look like for you? application point last week is to actually look at four people in our life, just four people in our life that we will be for. Four people in our life that we will be consistent in investing in, consistent in catching up with, to learn more about them, to learn more about their struggles, to learn how we can be for them and encourage them and help them in their own growth. What would it look like for you to actually have a conversation with someone about your 
faith or even other conversations, simply a conversation that was similar to what Jesus had. Because I know you may have pushback. I know you may say, oh, I just don't think some of my friends, some of my family members, some of my mates are ready for a conversation like that. Riley, well, Nelly, that is just too much. I totally get that. But if we look at some of the characteristics of Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman, we would see that he was completely normal. That's what we need to do. He was tired. He was at a well. He asked for water. That's not tricky for us to do. We have conversations with people every day. We can simply be normal. Let's actually ask genuine questions. This underrated question of how are you? How is your day? Sometimes people need to be asked it twice to actually enter into the vulnerability of other people's life. To actually listen. Actually get an idea and a window uh, view what's actually happening in their life. And on top of that, to run towards the message. To run towards the message in people's life. And I know it's dry, it's so easy for me to do, but as people, we see strength as something that we need to have in order to impress people. But at the end of the day, we are connected by our weaknesses. And when we run towards the message of people, we have an opportunity to actually share the difference that Jesus has made for you. You have an opportunity, an opportunity to actually share your story. To actually share your story and know that your goal is to be someone and not sell something. As a follower of Jesus, I completely understand. It, it may feel uncomfortable. But growth rarely happens in a place of comfort. At the end of the day, the value of your story is too great not to share to those closest to you in your life. And I'm not saying you need to pin people up against the dairy section of the IGA and like tell them smack bang why they need Jesus in their life, but more so we know that, that people need people. People grow with people. People are lesser off by not knowing more about your story and by not knowing you and who God has made you to be and how he has changed your life. And we are people that, that long for this sense of this idea of success, the successful life. And for the woman, she, she found that uh, in the relationships that she was committing herself to. And for a lot of us, when we look at this idea of success, we think about our jobs. We think about what it looks like to climb the ladder at work. With work comes finances. We think success looks like this thing that we need to put a value on, the sense of security that comes, that comes with knowing that one day we'll be able to retire, that we'll be able to uh, be able to keep our family uh, sustainable, that we'll be able to have this life that is led knowing that there is value in our bank accounts. For some of us, our, our idea of success points to people close to us and it points to relationships, but for some reason, for some reason, we never find our value or sense of worth in these relationships and we find ourselves in a place where we continually keep going through short-term relationships with other people and we feel burnt at the end of them. At the end of the day, people crave connections. The space we're in in our time, people crave connections more than ever. We may impress people with our strengths, but we connect with others in our weaknesses. And when you realize what you have been given in your own life, you have every reason to pour into the lives of others. And your story, your story tells the truth of a relationship with a heavenly father who wrote his way into the mess, into the mess of this world he could have eternal life with you. As followers of Jesus, the pressure is off. 
there's no need for you to carry people over the line, to feel like you need to carry the burdens of making sure somebody else comes to knowing Jesus. Because there is a God that loves people. There's a God that loves every person. Even the ones that we say should be unlovable. Even when we tell ourselves that we are unlovable, this is a God who loves people far greater than you and I love people. Could you think what that would look like? actually went out and loved like God loved. Some people are one conversation away from a change in their own life. One invitation, one conversation away from getting to know more about God. And this is a relationship that offers far more than just contentment. When we read in Jesus' own word, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And I know if you've been asking questions of what it looks like to actually step into a relationship with Jesus, this is a relationship that offers purpose, offers eternal purpose. That this living water that comes through a relationship with Christ will actually bring fulfillment over just satisfaction in your situation. It'll bring fulfillment over just contentment. It's more than just circumstantial contentment, more than just satisfaction. It's more than just a quick reliever. It's a promise of a life in heaven and one that meets all desires. Some people are only one invitation or one conversation away from this relationship. Maybe for you, your your own lens of your own self-worth does not have to be defined by you. It does not have to be defined by others. But by a God that sees you of immeasurable worth if you knew the gift of God if you're not asking what it would look like for those in your closest sphere I challenge you as a reminder to actually ask yourself this is God who sees you as a masterpiece a God who actually wrote you into the story there was a one in three trillion chance of you coming into this world and the biology of the world that we live in that makes you a living miracle that makes you invaluable invaluable to the people around you and invaluable in the eyes of your heavenly Father. Here's an invitation to offer an invitation to others, to actually meet people where they're at and have a conversation. To actually step into a conversation with your heavenly Father. I'd love to wrap up uh, in prayer tonight. They're actually going to invite the band uh, to jump back up. But let's pray. God, we just pray over those uh, in our own life, Father. We know uh, that's so tricky at times when we see other people hurting, uh, people close to us in our own lives, whether that is friends or whether that is families, Lord, and to actually know about their stories and the things that they're going through. God, we know that in this time uh, that we feel like we can run towards the message, Lord, and, and we know what it looks like to be in a relationship with you, but at the same time, God, we can feel the burdens of feeling like we have to carry these people over the line. And God, we are thankful that you are a God that loves people far greater than people love people. God, we are so thankful that you've created us to be unique, to be a masterpiece, Lord. We are thankful, thankful for our own challenges and adversities in our own life. And Lord, we just pray that we can be people that never undervalue uh, our own story, that we are people that are constantly offering an invitation for others to step into a relationship with you, even if that's through a simple conversation. And we lift all these things up in your name. Amen.